High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, social outcasts, delinquents, misbehaving kids, whatever you want to call them. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years with the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Ron Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school, your junior year, is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment and i would like to see the results homework 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 we're gonna talk about it i just need to first figure out what day it is what time it is i am tired i have not slept in days as you might be familiar with here in the united states or maybe around the world if you're paying attention we are in the midst of a presidential election and i like an idiot have stayed up almost every night following the results I'm addicted to it. I know every news anchor's middle name. I know where they went to school, who they've married, which person has a baby with which other person on the set. Trust me, I've been watching way too much cable news. I'm not going to be Mark Marin. I'm not going to start talking political here. I know you don't listen for the politics. I know you listen for the distraction, and that's totally fine. I'm not going to get on a soapbox. I have in the past, but I won't get on a soapbox here. But man, oh man, what a close election. It's fun to follow. And speaking of election, election was actually our film on Monday. In, you know, to coincide with the presidential election here, in the spirit of that, of course, I'm talking about the election with Reese Witherspoon and Chris Klein, and my guests for that episode were Kyle August Reinfried, the foodie films man himself, and Danny Kim, and I think it was a really fun episode. That was part of your homework. Check that out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Google Play. Ooh, God, I keep doing that. It's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or of course, you can listen to the episode on the flagship, cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Of course, while you're at one of those platforms, not cageclub.me, but the other platforms, subscribe, hit the subscribe button, give us a five-star review, give us a positive review rating and of course the best way you could spread the love and message of high school slumber party is by telling a friend about all the magic and love that happens here on high school jesus slumber party <laughs> whoa 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 whoa! sit down sit down the bell doesn't dismiss you i dismiss you we haven't even talked about your homework for this week and that was to watch a cool film an influential film that's the best word for it influential over the edge and the person who suggested it to me 
Galen Howard. He's been on before. He was on for Nowhere. He was on for Society. He's had some really great suggestions so far. And he might as well be called Mr. Podcast. Because if you follow him on Instagram, you see he's on like a podcast every week. Sometimes two every week. I love it. Getting around, making the rounds. We hope to have him on again. But we're putting the horse... Wait, the cart in front of the horse, right? Wow, I'm sorry. I haven't slept in a while. We're putting the cart in front of the horse. We'll get them back on. But first, I hope you watch Over the Edge, and I hope you enjoy this episode today because it's going to be awesome. I won't delay you any longer. I might crawl into my sleeping bag and take a nice little nap while you're listening to this episode. So do me a favor because I already have them on. You could tell. But pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with a cool song from this movie. By the way, great soundtrack, this film. But the song I'm going to leave you with is Cheap Tricks, Surrender. Class dismissed. Over the edge, 1979. All right, well, Galen, welcome back to High School Slumber Party. Good to have you on again. Thank you. Today's movie was on your original slate that you had asked about. and um, Yeah. This is one I actually had heard of. I was on the fence about doing it, and I'll explain why later for stupid reasons. But okay. <laughs> uh, before okay, any cool. of that, before any of that, why don't you introduce yourself in the classic High School Slumber Party way? Do you remember how to do that? Yes, I believe so, yes. Galen Howard, class of 2001 at Thomas Charter School. We didn't have a sports team, but... Our icon was were the knights. It was a little knight with a shield and shit. <laughs> great, great. And, of course, guys, you've heard Galen on our Society episode. Yes, memorable episode, yeah. Mem- yeah. Memorable film, for sure, at least. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun one to do. And I think this one's going to be fun as well. Obviously a different film, different kind of film. The reason that I wasn't sure about doing this at one point was they're technically in junior high, not official high school but i guess so yeah it honestly it really doesn't matter that was like you know maybe a rule i had early on i've done some movies that have dipped lower than traditional high school since you know i've started i really won't go up to college because i think college no. movies are a completely different genre but would you ever do a college a, a college podcast the college years i mean maybe that <laughs> after i finish every <laughs> high school film we'll see where i'm at i mean i love those yeah. movies too <laughs> Right, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's a completely different thing. However, there are not too many, like, junior high, middle school movies. And I I don't know if I would even call this 
that kind of movie because the tones are very uh oh it's so yeah it's so <laughs> unique yeah i mean this is yeah film very much very much ahead of its time but it's also kind of you can see it kind of dealing with some of the limitations that were allowed at that time i mean this film has a pg rating which is insane and that's insane i didn't know that wow yes ultimately it's such an influential film that i was like you know we have to talk about it. excited to talk about it. I'd never seen it, so this is my first watch. So, Galen, what's your connection to this film? When was the first time you saw it and, and all that? I'll be honest with you. I took a little bit of a risk here because I had I had only known of this film by reputation. So mm. this, this was my first viewing, too, but it was, it was one that had been on my bucket list for years. You know, it, it just had that kind of reputation where, you know, it was huge influence. You know, it's one, one of the first, like, kind of modern kind of delinquent youth movies like like what we think of as modern delinquent youth mm-hmm. movies it's really interesting in that regard you know like people like kurt cobain cited this film as an influence as like a lifestyle influence you know the movie was pulled from theaters when it first came out because they were afraid it would start a riot i mean so it has a huge reputation and so you know i went into it with that anticipation so and we'll kind of we, we can discuss kind of what the reaction was Oh, awesome. I mean, that's great, too. I love getting the first-time reaction as well. This is, again, like you said, and we'll talk about the influences, definitely, and you alluded to the Kurt Cobain thing, and yep. part of the reason I wanted to see it, I like the movies that come before the movies sometimes, and this is certainly mm. this is certainly one of them. Um, so every week, I read back of the VHS, DVD, whatever I can find. This is a picture of a VHS I found online. Awesome. Uh, so here it goes. Welcome to New Granada. The planned suburban paradise hailed as tomorrow's city today, but something's been left out of the plans. One quarter of the town's population is under age 15, while the adults scramble to boost the resale value of New Granada stores, offices, and condos. The kids are left to discover their own values and come up with enough drugs, booze, and discontent to push themselves and the entire community over the edge. <laughs> yeah, like classic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and if it was a regular like even a blu-ray or a dvd it probably would have ended mm-hmm. there but of course vhs's have to fill up this whole back of because again couldn't go on your phone and watch a trailer so That's right uh, you gotta give you everything right yeah so here goes again like the classic rebel without a cause of a generation before over the edge introduces middle-class america to the potential enemy of its own making its children we have met the enemy and we are it the film boldly declares um and then there's two more Are paragraphs that? <laughs> i don't think so but <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we'll get into that <laughs> and there's two more paragraphs that just talk more about the actors and the director okay. so we don't have right, to right. go into that wow that's a, that, <laughs> like somewhat film forum like just wrote you know wrote that i mean like what <laughs> yeah i forget about those vhs copy that just goes on forever yeah yeah <laughs> it's like let's fit as much on here as possible not just like oh my god yeah so i was yeah so I went to the grocery store yesterday. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, just blah, 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 blah. Wow. Yeah, and now on, like, Amazon, it just says, like, a movie with delinquent kids or something like that. You know, it's never... Right. They do drugs. <laughs> drugs. Sex. Yeah. Exclamation point. All caps. <laughs> just off the bat, I'll ask you, since it was your first time watching, before we get into some of the production notes, did yeah. you did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was a very uneven watch for me in a way. I mean, I had to go back and watch it again because I think my first watch of it was fairly... I was a little off-put by some of it because it's very... 
there's elements of it of this film that are very uneven because they were going for something that was they were going for a very hard edge, very uh, highly realistic. Feels like one of those movies that where where there was just like too many cooks from the producer's end because there's mm. you'll have you'll have these very raw scenes. You know they would bring it. They brought, basically brought in like kids like who are like in the back of the school smoking and doing drugs. And you know they wanted this really uh, this this really edgy, very realistic tone to the whole film. But then you have this very odd like musical score. <laughs> and yeah, we'll get into that later, but in things like that and things like that, where it just feels like the edges were just kind of sanded off a little bit. And so to me, there was, there was moments where it's like, oh, this is, this is really raw. This is, you know, this is really compelling. And then there's, there are moments where it's just like, you know, it's like a dog that got declawed. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a uh, pretty cool. I definitely get what you're saying. Um, that seems to suffer from weird mixes because you know like it'll be this dark uh gritty thing and then we'll have like a cool 70s car chase you know <laughs> like in the middle right <laughs> yeah it's like, oh well but where's the action where's the action <laughs> yeah they open you know with like a cheap trick song i write in the beginning you know they give you this very very hard edge it's very like kind of verte no score for like the first 10 minutes and then suddenly as soon as they get arrested it's and you're like where did this come from i mean overall like i did enjoy the film and you know we'll talk about some of our favorite moments and and again it's something where how can i put it i've watched a lot of these kind of precursor films or films that Mm. directors have said really inspired them and they often they often have the things we're talking about here, like an unevenness, because I think right. if they were, I think if they were masterpieces, they would be the things that we were looking at, not the things that directors were pulling. The not the things that they yeah. referenced. They were like, oh, this part of this, I really, I've never seen this before. Like this little, this little element of it, I'm going to take that and expand it into a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, and even Kurt Cobain, you like just from like. You know, knowing Nirvana and stuff, you could probably tell what he was inspired by, and probably tell what parts he was just like whatever to. You know, like exactly, like... <laughs> yeah. Oh well, whatever. Never mind. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> production notes that I could dig up. Um, that yes. the, the film wasn't. This is everywhere, so not you know half-assed internet research, as they say. But this, of um, the film was inspired by an article in the San Francisco Examiner. Hmm about the mouse pack they called yes, it mouse pack kids on a crime spree it was a little bit of a phenomenon in the 70s but if you read things it was a little bit overblown in a sense that mm. you know there was a whole white flight white families leaving the cities and going to the suburbs and i think there was the idea that the suburbs were going to be perfect and it's the cities where the crime was and not you know, these little perfect communities you're creating, like how, right. you know, how could we bring that here, you know, but that's just stupid, <laughs> right? obviously. So while you'll read a lot of things about this movie and talking about like, oh, this phenomenon that was happening in the 70s, I don't think like sociologists and people today necessarily see it as something that was, oh my God, how could this happen? Because that's you know that's just how society was. Now there are some things in the film that the film alludes to, like potential reasons why the kids are so out of hand, and we'll get yeah. into them for sure. You know the screenwriters Charles S. Haas and Tim Hunter were their names, yes. 
as soon as the article came out, they started doing the research and writing this screenplay. I'm curious what their original vision was. Eventually, they uh, passed it off to the director, Jonathan Kaplan. Yes, who has an interesting background, too. Oh, yeah? Well, I didn't really look too much into him. Do you, what is his background? Well, he, was, he came from the Corman School, so mm, he... That doesn't surprise had, me. Yeah, so he had things like... Um, Reformed schoolgirls and night nurses, things like that, were his oh, first kind very of film. Cool. <laughs> yeah, he, he, they, they saw it as an exploitation film. Haas and Hunter saw it as a, as a kind of an edgy, like exploitation film. So, so he was perfect for that because that was his background. Um, another thing I, I learned recently is that he, the project he was he was attached to right before this was an abandoned feature film for the Sex Pistols. Oh wow. Okay, I mean yeah. that. I mean that definitely registers. Absolutely, he was immersed in that world already, so he had a his vision, his approach. I think definitely kind of lines up to this. He was perfect. He was definitely the right choice for this. I'm glad you pointed that out because I I could totally see this being almost a Corman like film if it was mm-hmm. like pivoted a certain way. That's very interesting. Wow. Yeah, and I guess maybe cinephiles out there would recognize that i guess his most famous film is the accused because he was nominated for that but it's definitely it's definitely not anything like this so that was like, no yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely like ten, not. 10 years later but 10 yes, years later exactly exactly maybe if you guys are familiar with the name or whatever so the film had a very limited run when it came out it was in this period where there was a lot of these kind of youth gang movies yeah Specifically, The Warriors, which I love, The Wanderers, another cool movie, and Boulevard yep. Nights all came out in 79. Yes, yeah. And this is an actual thing, because, like, I mean, I'm a big fan of The Warriors. And, of course, I've seen all those other movies as well. And people were, like, going crazy <laughs> yeah. when these films would come out. There were, like, reports of fights after them. So I would get how this might inspire, theoretically, unruly youth. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so... Even though I'm not like a fan of censoring things or like ha- not having movies come out when they're supposed to come out, the hysteria is kind of, um, you know, you see where they're coming from, I guess is my point. Exactly. There was a lot of chaos at that time. Like we were just like the pre-Reagan era. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, there is this kind of you know, sense of, you know, there's bomb about to go off, you know, that they're just trying to keep under wraps. So it's interesting in that way. And so it makes, yeah, it makes sense that they saw this as a potential, as a potential issue. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's just it's interesting to go back in time and think like that. But I get it. I definitely get it. Um, so we usually talk about the cast here. Not a big cast in terms of names, which you know, t- totally understandable. Except, of course, when everyone talks about this film, they mention that this is Matt Dillon's debut film role. Correct. A lot of lot of reading on that. A lot of scholarship on that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Apparently, like I read, like he didn't even want to be in the movie. He just went to the audition as a favor to a friend, and, and it was an opportunity to cut class. Yeah, exactly. And because, yeah, he could skip school that day because. Uh, her name is, and she's in the movie too, I believe, Jane Bernstein. Yes. She plays like, oh, she the principal or something. Okay. But she was, uh, I guess, was a friend of Matt Damon's or a teacher or something like that. Different places say different things. And she's like, hey, why don't you come to this audition? And he was kind of like, oh, do I get to miss class? She's like, yeah. So, okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he got the part and she ended up being his guardian on set. That's why she's in the movie because uh, he was too young to fly off to Colorado on his own. Oh, interesting. The one bit they talk about, I read this article and they, they, they said that um, 
when they interviewed Matt Dillon about this, you know, for the movie, they said, like, what, what do your parents do? And he goes, you know, my dad's a fucking stockbroker and my mom, she don't do shit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and they were like, we love you. <laughs> that's they amazing. were like, that's it. That's done. Yeah. And they were like, OK, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, yeah. I'm not condoning what he said, but you know what I mean. No, but just that un, that that just completely uncentered, uncensored, un, unfiltered kind of personality. I mean, they're like, yeah, we just need to, we just we just need to give this kid a little bit of structure and just watch him go. Yeah, I mean, and obviously he would go on to have a pretty good career for himself. So, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's so interesting how that turned out. Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting start. And I think he's awesome in the movie. Uh, oh yeah. He's just naturally that, I guess. You guys got a lot of laws, right? Well, let me tell you something. I only got one law. A kid who tells on another kid is a dead kid. Well, that's a good rule, kid. It'll serve you well in jail someday. Damn straight. Yeah, yeah, he just had that energy. And yeah, I mean, you definitely, you know, because there were some some, some other kids who, you know, had been in like maybe a movie here, you know, here and there. But, you know, the, he just has that kind of presence. I mean, the camera just just immediately goes to him, I feel like. Absolutely. And one thing I had like questions about at the beginning was quickly answered. Like he has a you know, a New York accent, a couple of the kids have like different accents, but it's easily explained because people moved here from other parts of the country. So, That's right. you, know, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Like, so it's not like he had, all he had to do was kind of just read lines and be himself, which is awesome. Yeah, that was perfect. And they did find kids everywhere. They found him in New York and then they found a lot of, you know, a lot of the smaller roles they, they actually pulled from, from on location. You really get a feel for that. Um, and he's not even really like the, the lead. The lead is uh, Carl, who's played by a kid. Well, he's not a kid now, but a kid called right. Michael Kramer, um, who's not even acting now. Uh, his Wikipedia article no, is he's, he's a, a doctor or something, right? Yeah, like a, a physician, a clinical physician, they said. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of these kids, he and the and the lead actress, they, you know, they, I think, acted through the 80s. But, um, you know, this is his only lead role. I think he had some bit roles throughout the 80s. I think Jonathan Kaplan actually threw him in a couple of his later films. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he eventually he eventually just kind of petered out. But this is really, I mean, this is pretty much his peak as far as his career is concerned. As far as acting, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Not, not his medical career. No. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't speak to that. I'm sure he's, a, I'm, I'm sure he's very talented in that, in that realm. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. Um, was there anyone else in the, in the cast you wanted to make note of or, or that you recognized? Um, well, yeah, I mean, his kind of, his kind of like peripheral rival was Vincent Spano, mm-hmm. who had at that point already been on Broadway. Um, he had been like one other movie and they really tried to avoid like the drama kids and that sort of thing. And he was really the, he was really kind of the one exception to that. And he went on to do, do a lot of things. He was, went on to be in Rumblefish, uh, mm-hmm. with, also with Matt Dillon. Yeah. And yeah. And, um, you know, he's been in a lot of television. He's just kind of like, you know, the he's he's kind of like the the movie of the week hunk in a lot of things. Yeah, no, I definitely recognized him. The note I had on him is that he was pretty much Matt Dillon's backup in case the Matt Dillon experience did not go well. They would just kind of slot him in and just cast a local <laughs> as his right. character. Interesting. Yeah, I know that in the production they ended up kind of 
he ended up kind of being an ally to Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because he was the one with the, with actual acting experience. So he kind of, he relied on him a little bit as far as helping him with his performance, at least being a reference on set. Which is really, you know, awesome. Like, you know, big for him, especially being like a younger person and not getting like jealous that you didn't get the role and become a dick on set or something. You know, you never know, you know, that kind of yeah, chaotic mindset. Yeah, in that kind of chaotic environment. So it's pretty cool. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, you know, there are certainly people with credits here, but I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. They kind of really wanted unknowns and, and to pride themselves on a cast that, you know, it wasn't like I watched another movie for this podcast, Corvette Summer, mm-hmm. with uh, okay. Mark Hamill. And it's like, if you cast Mark Hamill mm-hmm. in 1979, you know what you're doing. You're trying to bring in, you know. Right. Yeah. You're going for a particular audience. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and, and Mark Hamill has that, you know, has that all American, all American honor roll look. So it's a very, it's something very specific. Yeah. This is like, they're trying to do the opposite, opposite of that. The opposite <laughs> of that. Yeah. No, I mean, they, Tim Hunter and, and Char- Charlie Haas talked about how they would, when they would go to the schools and try to recruit people for, bit roles and background they would like to immediately take them to like the kids in the drama club and they were like no 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 we don't want that and, like they would basically bypass that and like go for like the, you know the kids in the back who are like smoking which is, which is awesome <laughs> yeah and it's and, and i think that really translates i i 100 percent agree just when you see that opening scene in the the rec hall and just you know the, with the little conversations with the with the girls i mean that mm-hmm. all seemed just so real they looked real. To me, they looked like photographs that I've seen on people's, uh, you know, refrigerators of, you know, like, oh, that's so-and-so's mom when she was, you know, younger or something. Like, they looked like real human beings, not Hollywood at all. Yeah. When I think of this cast, it really made me think of uh, Dazed and Confused because I know Linklater yeah. said it was one of his influences, and I totally get that. I know there was a little bit more names. The way that kids fit in in the background in Dazed and Confused and the way that, like, you can almost... How certain people shine and certain people, like I said, just float into the background really, really reminded me of that. When I read the Linklater thing, I was curious to, like, what that meant here. And it's clearly what we kind of said. Like, there's cherry-picked things here that I could see he was inspired by. But there was also stuff in here that I'm like, okay, that's not really Linklater at all. I don't know. Did you see some of that influence in here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the way that they... They introduce us into the uh, into the environment like mm-hmm. that. One one of that first scenes of just you know um, falling kind of conversation to conversation in that rec hall. You know you have like those two girls talking about like hooking up with a guy the, the night before, and it's just there's just that kind of that same kind of energy throughout. There's obviously there's a very different tone with this one. You know Linklater's tone is I think much more joyous, much more celebratory. Where this is kind of a, a cautionary tale, but just as far as the the raw energy. I mean, yeah, that definitely, you definitely see where that comes across. Whereas like Days and Confused is more of like a celebration of a moment and the month and almost the mundane at times. Absolutely. There are things that are happening in this film. I don't mean that as like an insult to either project. No, it's all about the intention. They're just two very different movies in that way. But, but it was also that this was the way in which they, in which they made this film and the, uh, the point of view really was fairly new for that time. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's funny how, you know, 
when this film opens up, there's like a disclaimer that they need to tell you like <laughs> that, like, right. This is yeah. what's going on. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that, and that opening moment, I'm like, I wonder if this is going to be a message movie. Well, there's a message in the opening scene. So maybe, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that might be a sign. <laughs> you brought it up how they open up in the, in this rec center and it gives you a really great, just overall, a really great sense of setting from the jump with this planned community, the desolateness of certain areas, the way the homes look, the way this rec center looks, you know, almost army barrack style. Right. Where they they throw a pool table in the middle of it, throw some couches in. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's so, I mean, that's exactly what I remember from the, the local rec centers. in you know, when I was growing up, it's cool. Like the, it, it existed. It's just also, I'm a guy who loves urban planning as well. A weird thing I don't talk about on this podcast. You say that for your urban planning podcast? Yes, yes, I do. I, I have a, my niche urban planning podcast. No, but, <laughs> but I mean, they're really hitting on the point pretty heavy here that like families moved here with kids. But while this is a planned community, they did not plan this right because they're pretty much out of money. The dad is a Cadillac dealer. He's not selling any Cadillacs. They really need investments. They're willing to compromise on their utopia. And they haven't built, like, parks. Like, you know, parks where kids can play and not just, like, a playground in front of the rec center. They haven't built the... There was, like, promised a bowling alley and, I think, a roller rink. Like, that hasn't happened. Right. There's a specific... Yeah, they make a specific point about that. Yeah. Yeah, and they're trying to court an industrial... Uh, park instead for the money so i don't know if it was 100 percent executed perfectly because sometimes it hits you over the head with a hammer (laughs) but i do like these subversive ideas especially again at the time because there are still people who believe that the suburbs are shangri-la and the city is a scary scary place and that things like that should not happen in the suburbs and i think for like 1979 where people are still fleeing cities in massive numbers to these kind of suburban communities i think it is cool that they have a reality check that like yeah like you don't run away from stuff like that. There are other factors that contribute to this. Maybe not mass rioting like on this level, but right. I did enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, they definitely definitely took the idea from that article of what could happen and then basically projected that forward. Yeah, for sure. Because the other movies we talked about, it's sort of this like youth gang warfare or whatever the warriors and the wanderers both take place in the city i don't remember where boulevard nights took takes place i haven't seen it in a while yeah I, i'm not sure either i'm pretty sure it's the city as well that would make sense <laughs> but yeah. so that this is like the only one i've ever seen at least from this era that does this we'll get movies later i think that that are also later on but i think this is really the first you know the first of its time you really um i mean and in a way it almost kind of harkens back to the the youth and revolt films of the fifties, you know, mm. like, Oh, good you know, call. Like, good call. Yeah. Like, Without a cause. Some of the, the Corman movies, the, you know, the, and, and that sort of that, that whole idea. And those were, you know, 25 years previous, you know, so it was really kind of revisiting this idea, this kind of this, that the cycle is kind of happening over again. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, great point. So let's talk about some of your favorite scenes and moments, or maybe least favorite scenes. Uh, what do you want to talk about when it comes to over the edge? I mean, I think another scene that really, would I would see really inspiring um, Richard Linklater is the the house party scene. Oh my we god! We really yes. hadn't seen a scene. We really and I feel like that's such a 
that's such a kind of scene that we hadn't we really hadn't seen before and now we we've seen hundreds of those scenes yeah i mean that's something on this podcast i see all the time i don't think i've ever seen it this early 1979 like yeah. this you know this is yeah. This, like you said, Link Later and Days and Confused, but all the way to like you know even in co- uh, high school comedies, like just the way Absolutely. that they moved to the party till today. This is a staple in this genre, and to see it here and to see it done so close to, I guess, the expectation of what is trope now, it was fascinating to me. I loved it. Yeah, it's interesting that this came out. Uh, this came around the same time as as Animal House, and you see these, and mm. they're showing these, you know, these. 14 year old kids, you know, partying at the, you know, <laughs> the chaos is at the, is on the same level, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely Animal House is probably the one that really brought it to mainstream. But the fact that, again, this is, these are 14, 15 year old kids. Yes. And it's, it's scary and, and amazing at the same time. Yeah. One side note about this about this scene, you know the um, the host of the uh, the host of the house party. Yeah, um, you know, his his parents are out of, t- out of town. And he's just completely completely over the top, and he's like, "Hey, welcome, come <laughs> on in." You know, the classic host of the house party. And I, I read an article about this, and apparently that kid was it was his first time acting, and he was really nervous, and oh. so th- and so the writer took him out back and got him drunk. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, wow. like he, yeah, okay. got into his car, pour, you know, poured like vodka into a styrofoam cup, handed to him, handed him another one, then got him a beer, and then it's like, okay, you good? Then just shoved him out there. We are not condoning that behavior on a film set today. Absolutely guys. not. But it is. <laughs> but that is that is how the sausage got made in this case. My goodness, that is, that makes so much sense. Doesn't it? Yeah, because he's just he's so wild. Yeah, it's funny because like that's a character you'd see in like things like I don't know, like Booksmart or American Pie or, or things like right. that. But it's here existing in a real person. You know, just like a background actor, essentially, and it's so cool. Uh, again, I don't condone that, but <laughs> no, but it's, it's it's a fascinating piece of history. Absolutely, absolutely, wow. Yeah, there's a great Vice article they put out about five years ago on this. If you uh, for anyone listening, that's a fascinating read. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check that out because this movie has a. It just it's one of these movies that I think everyone should see, and I'm not necessarily think maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't. But going to find things, maybe maybe I'm just going crazy about it in that way because I watch all these teen films. But you're going to find things where you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that's cool. Oh, my God. I know who did that, you know? One of the things yeah. I, I wanted to mention that kind of mirrors that in a sense is how they shoot the school here. Mm. The chaotic atmosphere of school. Again, it's a, it's a junior high, but it reminds me of so many, so many high school scenes. The way that... The kids are just, like, not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Or, like, how about, you know, the assemblies they have? Like, they're trying to use order for things. It's just not working. Vandalism is one of our country's biggest problems today. Estimates for destruction to school facilities alone is over $100 million per year. And counting all acts of vandalism to public and private property, some experts push the figure to over $1 billion every year. A vandal is defined as one who willfully, wantonly, and ignorantly damages and destroys valuable or beautiful things. It's funny. Oh, they, yeah. 
when they show that educational video about like yes, that's exactly what I was gonna say. yeah about delinquency yeah the vandalism them. video oh god with the the little librarian turning the screen yeah, she turns around. <laughs> it's like to destroy beautiful things is vandalism <laughs> v is for vandalism <laughs> and then a, a scene maybe right before that when they're in an art class it's just like write me a paper i wanted to bring it up because it, they said it was like write me something on this uh painting and it's actually that bosch painting that we i think we right. we brought it up during society so <laughs> yes we did yeah it's interesting callback yeah, yeah but... interesting interesting through line for, in- for what, absolutely what your brain craves galen i don't know <laughs> I, uh, yeah I, I do i do love her on a spot um but i think it was it, it was definitely one of those like i think like you could tell like the writer and directors thought they were they were being very clever yes saying yes. like it's 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 a commentary it's a hellscape youth is hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> See, and that's something that, like, if you want to say this movie is perfect, maybe, maybe this is like the a huge criticism. There are a lot of su- there's a lot of subtlety here, but there are a lot of like beat you over the head. Uh, that was moments. my that's my big issue with this, where I would go from some and I and I think it's I think those beat you over the head moments are so obvious when coupled with these themes that are incredibly are incredibly raw you know, like warts and all kind of portraits of youth. And then coupled with these moments where just, you know, zoom in on the kids and, you know, you know <laughs> or, and it's just, it's incredibly jarring in that way. And I think that was my first reaction. I think that's why it was helpful to go back and really appreciate some of those, those stronger moments in the film. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think if you can just digest them as kind of a sign of the times and a sign of, uh, filmmaking of the era. Yeah, it's easier to appreciate the really, really good stuff. We're talking about these things, and I'm laughing at them too because, again, as much as I like the way, you know way that they design this future city so poorly, um, the the fact that they're literally like you see a sign that says like bowling alley coming soon, and they put a close up on it and board it up and it's like industrial park, you know, like exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And there's that, there's that moment where, and it's literally in slow motion as he's passing by. Yeah. And they're, when they're watching it, it's like, I mean, that's a definitely a beat you over the head moment. So like, it's all falling apart. You know, can you see, you see, um, what's the main kid's name? Carl. Carl, yeah, you know, Carl, you Carl. looking out the window and and in slow motion the sign is being boarded up and it's that it's that foreshadowing moment of you know this is where it all this is where it all falls <laughs> down. <laughs> Only they had built that bowling alley for the kids. <laughs> but again, there is some truth to a lot of those things. But there, and there it is, and that is a reality. I mean, yeah, but, but you don't when have... there were when there were but they 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 put so much emphasis on that. It's like we get it, we get it. <laughs> we had a whole conversation before with the dad. Is like, what about the bowling alley? He's like, we can't afford a bowling alley yeah, in this done. town. And then, Done. That's it. We get it. And then slow motion bowling alley. Nope. (laughs) One of the other things that definitely belong in that list was um, so the lead cop here is called Lieutenant Doberman. Doberman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's named after a mean historically mean dog we get it like yeah. jesus christ like yeah no i yeah in my notes there's just a single line that just says sergeant doberman <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? I thought they were just calling him that. Like, that was his nickname. Oh, like, it yeah, was some... I know. But, yeah, but then people in the office like, oh, no, oh, Doberman. Like, where, Doberman. Yeah, where's Doberman? Like, oh, no. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, man. Again, I don't want people to be listening and be like, oh, so this movie's crap. Like, definitely don't take those things as that. We just have to point them out because they exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because there's a, a lot of good here. but and, and it's just there's these little moments that just kind of upset. You know, the, they just kind of stick out because there's, again, as I said before, there's so, there's so much of this that is really on point. And I wonder if they stick out because it's the year 2020. You know, because so much time has passed and we've seen so many movies do this a little bit better at this point. Um, because I don't know if it's going to stick another, out. That's somebody. also a good point. That's also a good point. Yeah, because I don't know in 1979 if someone points that out. They might be pointing out the things that we like and be like, why the hell is he lingering on that shot with him putting the headphones on on the bed? You know, like. <laughs> another interesting point. You know, we're, we're talking about the tone of this film. The, the music score that we've spoken about a few times is by a guy named Saul Kaplan, who is Jonathan Kaplan's dad. Oh, it's very interesting. You know, and he had his whole background in basically like like westerns and you know 40s and 50s melodrama and it definitely shows here. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing where it's like let me hire my dad even though yeah, that's probably I mean, not the best <laughs> choice. He, he might be good at doing other things, but it doesn't really Absolutely. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, if yeah, I mean if this was like, you know, a, a TV movie of the week about like, you know, an overstressed mom, I mean, this is <laughs> might be your choice uh, but with the you know the raw edge of the you know the lens that they're putting against the youth culture in that time to see this kind of score that like seems seems like out of like a gene autry movie you're just like what is this <laughs> and like in terms of the soundtrack like i mean obviously i mean like the music and stuff it's kind of ahead of its time in the way it's like cutting to it and using it but it's exactly what you said we'll get this like really cool rock song and then we'll yeah, get they have, a bunch of, they have a bunch of cheap trick in the soundtrack, yeah. the Ramones, the cars and... in 1979, which is which is like, you know, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Van Halen. They, Van, they have Van in Halen. In 79, 79 Van Halen, which is Van, crazy. Van, yeah, so they they were just they had each like just put out one album, the cars and Van Halen each. They were very cutting edge at that time. And so yeah, cutting you have and aware. They're aware of the youth culture at the time. But you, like you said, very much we... reflective of that. Very much reflective of that. And yeah, and then you cut to this. <laughs> like do 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 yeah, horns. Bum, 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 bum. And it's like what is going on? Like this is you, know, you want I mean you want something very stark. I mean, I feel like for this, like you wouldn't want, um, you do kind of like blame it on, you know, a personal choice, not necessarily, a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a choice of the era. I mean, you know, it's, it's it clearly much like, Oh, I got to hire, hire my dad. He, I'm not near <laughs> the end of it. Cause you know, you look at other movies of that time, you look at like, you know, films like Badlands and other, you know, even like Bonnie and Clyde and other, you know, other films of that era, um, you know, from the last 10 years. And yeah, they, you know, when they have more of this raw edge, you know, not, you have, they have scores that are very much more appropriate. Some things that are very stripped down that they don't, they don't flood the image with music. It's, you know, they let things breathe. And this score for this film for Over the Edge does not. Yeah. And again, it's probably like one of the bigger criticisms here you know what are some things that really stuck out to you in a positive way and also we can talk about cool moments in here and we can talk a little bit about the plot as well absolutely yeah i mean i told i i I mean i mentioned that whole um the whole party scene is great you know that's where we 
that's where we see the um, um, the kid Carl kind of first um, kind of come into his own a little bit. That's when he um, has the first kind of defining moment with his uh, love interest in the film. Yes, that whole element is interesting. What is her name? Corey, Corey. Corey, yes. Yeah, and she was played by Pam something. Ludwig. Pam Ludwig, yes. Um, and, and Corey, you know, they have an interesting dynamic because, like, he gets beat up by, uh, what's his name? I don't, again, the names don't really matter in this yeah. movie so much. Spano, just Vincent, get... Vincent Spano played the yeah. kid, yes. And yes. they have that little moment where he, he steals his girl, where, you know, he has the classic moment of, um, you know, you can do better. <laughs> yeah, what was his exact line? I wrote it down. It was, he sees her at the party. It might literally be that. <laughs> I think no, it's it's you. You can do so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, "What are you looking at? Nothing. You, you." And then he says, "You could, you could, you could do a lot better. You could do a lot better. You could, do, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Nothing. You. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just it felt like something like a moment that like that kid, not the actor, that kid had just like rehearsed and now had that fi- finally had that. Yeah, but, but I'm cool with that because for the exact yeah, reason worked. you said because like he's building it up in his head. Like this guy's good at like portraying like this, not awkward in a nerdy way, but he's certainly not Matt Dillon is the point. Um, not at all. And so you kind of, you see him throughout the movie kind of, he's kind of wearing a costume kind of for a lot of it where he's kind of, mm-hmm. he's kind of, he's kind of playing a role for a lot of the film. And then it's like towards the end, he's, he's, I mean, he's beat up. He goes through a lot of things, throughout the film but it's like you know it's not really until the end that he really uh, about halfway through that he really begins to to have to deal with the the responsibility of that yeah for sure and what do you think of i guess like that i guess as the process goes along right like uh, mm-hmm. things really get heated up at that when at the rec center when the cops basically bust one of the kids because they need to clear the rec center essentially Poor timing, poor coordination by the police, but I'm not rooting for that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. They bust the um, the acid kid, who I think we do need to we do need to mention because he is one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's great. The, the kid who's like who bought some speed that turns out to be acid, and then he yeah. has the acid tra- the acid trip during the uh, the Hieronymus Bosch slideshow. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that kid was really cool. <laughs> oh, he was great. Yeah, he seemed like someone that they he seemed like someone they found. Yes, yes, out. absolutely. He had that quality, that that you know, that intangible quality. Yes, they find drugs in that kid. Um, they haul him off, and then Carl is you know, in, in order to kind of prove himself in that moment, you know, you know, goes, "Search me, search me." Yeah, he gets cocky a little bit, and of course, you know, he, he doesn't have anything on him or whatever. But that we get the great or like you know, the images of them all over the, the police car, um, and, and how the Carl's dad and that other dude who's, you know, some kind uh, of power, power in the town. He's the, the, the president of the homeowners. Uh, yes, that's what he is. Yes. 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 I wrote him down as skinny John Candy. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, they're like, oh, the kids are just having a little fun with the cop. you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where, like, Carl begins his transformation. I'd say, again, like, he got beat up before that and all that, but... Not soon after they, well, first of all, there's the whole, the other thing that happens to the people is that they put the firecracker in the, uh, Carl puts the firecracker in the car and, you know, ruins it or whatever. Um, but 
after that, we get kind of a, an interesting scene where, like, the two girls, Corey and her friend, like, they, they've evidently robbed a house and they found a gun. Oh, these are kind of around the same time. I might have my orders yes. mixed up. I think it's right after that when the the one where she's um, she's dancing with the gun to surrender. Yes, yes. Great scene. That's a great scene. It is so great. Like for all the crap that you could give this movie for maybe other stuff. And I don't think again, I don't think I think the good outweighs the bad overall. But mm-hmm. you watch a scene like that and you say, oh, my God, this is this scene is so ahead of its time. This scene yes. is so influential, again, especially in this genre of teen movies. Still go to field smart little target practice. Have a Sunday picnic. All right, a picnic with a gun. Absolutely. You know, the, yeah, the, the youth dancing scene, I mean, it became a, th- you know, a thing in so- someone else who I, I think is, I don't know if he said this, but I think someone who I think I could see having a lot of influence, uh, you know, this being a very influential film for was Cameron Crowe. Oh yeah. I could see that too. Yeah. I mean, just that kind of, and especially just how, how much music plays such a huge part for for youth, you know, it's such an iconic use of that song, and uh, and says so much about that character. Absolutely, and to us, I think it means something different than even at the time because that's not this film wasn't like again this was, this is not a mass produced movie. I think the people who were able to watch it, the filmmakers, like you can't help but to be inspired by a, a scene like mm-hmm. that. It's it's just again, I, I thought it was so awesome. I loved these elements here, or even like the stuff through. Oh, okay, I'll ask you. What, like, what do you think overall then of, I guess, the romance between Corey and why am I forgetting everyone's name today? <laughs> Car- Carl, between Corey, yeah. Corey, and Corey and Carl. Corey and Carl. Corey and Carl. It's a little awkward. It's just a little. It gets a little uncomfortable, and you know, and it's interesting because <laughs> she's she. I think was actually like three or four years older than him. Okay, and it shows just in, just in her energy alone. I mean, so it does. It, so see the scenes of them together are you know, and again, it's not by a lot, but there is there's a level of maturity that she has over him, and so the scenes of them together are just. I mean, it's not like over, outright uncomfortable, but it is. You're just kind of like, hmm. Yeah, they have you know. Eventually, they'll get into a sleeping bag together and. We don't we don't see anything, but we assume. Yeah, originally they wanted to be more explicit with that scene, but then the I think both the the producers and the and the parents I think intervened with that. <laughs> Probably a good idea. Probably a good <laughs> but, idea. Yeah, but yeah, it is awkward. It's weird, but I I think I like more how it looks and how it's shot rather than the actual physical thing that's happening or theoretically the chemistry between actors. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. I mean, what do you think as far as the story of just put these these two characters coming together? Um, I'm not against it, but it is one of these kind of like, oh, 
maybe we should have a romance in here kind of thing, you know? Feels a little shoehorn, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't seem necessary. It's very 70s, too. She, like, we find out that she really wants to be a truck driver in 1979. Not that there's anything against that, but in 1979, no, but it is, yeah. one of the coolest things you could do, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, it definitely it relies on a lot of the in-vogue cultural cultural phenomenons of that time it's very fun to look to you know to, to see a lot of that pop up in here especially like the fashion like even like the yeah. boston belt buckle or like the, the the weed belt buckle yeah the weed belt buckle too like the, just so good the weed t-shirts this is something that's obviously they're just trying to be in fashion of the era but when we we see period pieces they'll like envy style like this, you know? A little bit. I mean, I, I think there was some of that that's, that seemed like kind of broad strokes, but then there's a lot of stuff where I felt like, yeah, this, I feel like this, you know, these kids just kind of pulled it from their closet. And uh, just, you know, as, as we go along, uh, this is where like, I guess the plot kicks in a little bit more because, uh, they, well, they've instituted a 930 curfew and that's basically given the police carte blanche to do whatever they want to these kids um, you can yes. tell that this is like a community. At least it feels like it's a community on the brink. Its success or failure is going to be based on, you yeah. know, what happens next. And again, it's probably just going to end up being a regular, normal s- city. But just their idea of the Shangri-La that they were building there—it's evident that that's not going to a hundred percent come to be. Because you see, Matt Dillon's character, where he lives with his mom, is like an apartment complex that's. It's alluded to at, at, or there could be condos, I don't know, but it's alluded to at one point, like, oh, you know, we had these nice apartments, and they look run down now. Mm-hmm. And they look really, I mean, not really, you know, but they look pretty run down for what this community wants to be. Like, this is already happening, and it's not just the youth's fault. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. again, I love that we're seeing that. This movie pretty much devolves into somewhat of a revolution, right? I think we get a classic car chase in, in we between. We do get a there. classic car chase, yes. <laughs> but... Between that, you know, Matt Dillon has the gun and he's basically going to sell it for, or he says he's going to sell it for $150. I don't know if I believe him or not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the gun ends up getting him in trouble. Permanently, yes. Yes, yes. He's chased down and he ends up getting killed by Doberman. I guess, what do you think of his whole character arc in this film? I think his I think his overall arc was a little cut short in order to saw to in order to serve the the overall arc of the film. I would have liked to have seen more with that with his character. I would have liked to have seen his character develop more on you know to the climax because he's just a you know a a character who's you know and so much of that is because of the dynamism of uh, Matt Dillon Matt Dillon mm-hmm. but um I feel like there's either you know there's really no limit to that character and how far he can and far how far he can go dot 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 over the edge um, <laughs> and because I th- because I think to, in order to serve the plot they need an inciting incident you know to inspire this sort of this sort of full on revolt so he's he kind of becomes the sacrificial lamb for the the climax of the film I think that works but it's also we by by doing that we also lose arguably our most interesting character yeah, yeah, it's interesting in that way. Um, I think the. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I would have honestly. I would have. I would have rather seen seen them kill off another kid. I think it maybe wasn't intentional because mm-hmm. I don't think they thought that or knew. I'll say that like Matt Dillon would become he commands so much of that yeah. of this movie, in which he does. 
because it's it probably I know he is a big character, but it probably would have been like if it was one of these other kids dying, it probably would have been like that. The plus though is that when he does die, you do take it I think more seriously than just like a random kid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's interesting in that way. Yeah, I mean, things speaking fully about the film on a whole, I mean, I think it absolutely, you know, I see exactly where it serves that. And you know, the t- there is there is a bit of a tonal shift at that point. What do you think about, I mean, what do you think just as far as, you know, the arc of his character ending ending at that point? I mean, I, I, I'm in agreement with you. Again, I think it serves it well because I was like, oh shit, let's, uh, you know, figure something out. Maybe even too, it's more topical today. Or, I don't know, more topical, but just as topical t- today with the conversation being so much about uh, police violence and... Uh, you know, maybe not in this same situation, but it is similar because we find out later, and I'm glad we do, that, you know, the gun didn't have, everyone finds out, I should say, at that whole town hall meeting, that the gun was an unloaded gun, yeah. Yeah, it was unloaded, and you know, you know Doberman wanted to kill him. He was, he later says he doesn't apologize, like he were, it was a tough day, but he doesn't apologize for it. You know he took pleasure in it, you know he hates those kids. From that first scene, when they, that first interaction they have, when he's, He's chasing down some kids and some some other kids, and it and then basically just sees them and immediately um, and immediately suspects them, immediately fingers them. Yeah, and even even if he knew it wasn't them, he doesn't care. He was happy to bring. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think as far as 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 far as that aspect of the character? I mean, it feels a little apart from just his name alone, but you know, there's (laughs) some of his his performances. There's a little bit of twisting the mustache. Yes, but I. I didn't mind it because at this point, again, you're naming him Doberman. I'm not saying, like, I'm not thinking, he's not a complex character. We'll put it that way. No, uh, but there is a little, yeah, there was a little bit of a muahaha element to him. Just be like, ooh, I'm yes. going to get you. It was a little over, you know, a little over the top in that re- regard. But I see what you're saying, though. I, I think it's almost just as powerful if it, if you don't have, like, a figurehead cop and maybe he's, you know, maybe an unnamed cop shoots him or whatever, and it's just like, this is what happens in this town. But we, we, we it does uh, turn into something that becomes interesting at the meeting later. Like, like when you write, you're right. There is a lot of mustache twirling at, at the meeting. Um, but how this again, how this whole the whole thing devolves is that uh, Carl essentially runs away. This is when he's visited by Corey and such. You, you know, he's basically over it at this point they killed his best friend and you know he he runs into mark who's kind of living a feral lifestyle himself because <laughs> we didn't mention this but at the beginning he shoots like a cop car with a bb gun and right yes and that's the and that's the thing that um that that ends up getting pinned on on carl and richie yes yes so he but he's kind of like running from the law as well and then you know, Carl is starting to get his respect, basically respect of the biggest outlaw kid. Um, and eventually, you know, they have that PTA meeting where not when they make it clear, not all the parents go, but most of the police are there. The teachers are there. I want to mention, too, that uh, Julia is the character's name. She, like, runs the rec center and she's yes. very sympathetic to the kids. The kids really like her. Yes. And in this meeting, she's explaining she's kind of making some good points about the kids. Unfortunately, to some people, she might be proven wrong because, um, <laughs> right? It it gets a little uh, yeah. It, it goes a little beyond her her grasp, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
long story short, the kids trap the parents, you know, led by Carl, essentially. They trap the parents in uh, the... I think they call it the cafetorium or something. The cafetorium. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you ever heard it called that before? I, no, but I love it now. I, I love it. I, that's, I want to say, I want to say cafetorium, uh, you know, from here on forward. <laughs> and they're locked in this cafetorium. Um, and basically chaos ensues outside where, you know, the cars are being set on fire and destroyed. The yes. president of the homeowner society has this beautiful car that gets torched. And to the right. point the point where the kids are, again, they're kids, so you understand why, but they're getting out of hand um, where Carl is over it. Corey's kind of over it. A lot of the kids are just over it at that point. They're exhausted at this point. Yeah, it's uh, so. What did you think? Because this often when you read about this film, and what I knew about this film talked about mm-hmm. this kind of scene and this ending. So, what do you what do you think of this overall? Overall, I mean, this is where it really picked up for me. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just I think they did such a good job at just out and out chaos of everything, and just it's just one. It's just one scene after another. The editing was so dynamic. You just see like one one bit after another of just yet something else getting destroyed. And just it's just you know destruction upon destruction. And you can just see that uh, the you know just the the boiling pot just going over the sides. And it's just, and they truly spare no expense in that regard. And and you know, and you see and you see how it's really gotten it's gotten too much for even. Even for the even for the kids, you know, it's even more than what they anticipated, and I think they they do a really good job at that. I have issues with how it's all wrapped up, but we can get into that later. Yeah, in terms of this scene, though, like you said, it's it's a very cool visually. Uh, they were, they knew what they were doing here. It's yeah, it's even scary at points because some of these like some of these kids are teenagers, but some are look like pretty young. There's that one kid who wears the sunglasses. Um, yeah. He yeah, looks I mean, really some of them, young. yeah, they look like, yeah, like 13, you know. Yeah. It's just chaotic. I think Julia eventually saves the day, if you want to say that. She asks one of the kids for the phone. Yes. And... Oh, right. Yeah. Like, yeah, like the one who, like, like hands it to her through the, um, through the bars, basically. Yeah. And she's able to call the police. And they, they, it seems like another police force comes and rescues an out them. Of, like an out of town um, an out-of-town police force, I assume. Yeah, and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about the ending in a little bit, but this is, you know, this is the scene that Kurt Cobain talked about a lot as inspi- yeah. inspiring him. This, like... Yeah, I mean, I think it, and it, it inspired the um, the Smells Like Teen Spirit video. Yeah, yeah, and you could definitely, um, you know, you, you see a lot of elements of that in here. It just, again, it's absolute chaos, but there's a... Filmmaking-wise, there's a beauty to it, um, and I, I really like it. Eventually, Doberman, when he's when Doberman's let out, he pretty much is chaotic, trying to track down all these kids and brings right. Ca- Lone, Carl into Lone his police. Minute, yeah, yeah, he gets Carl, brings him into his police car, but of course the car shot with a BB gun, and ends up you know 
b- bashing into the rec center, and the rec right. center is is torched, and we see it go up in flames. Kind of a it's kind of a callback to the first scene when the when his car gets shot with a BB gun. Uh, I mean, what'd you think of that? Was it a little too on the nose, poetic for a little you? Little bit. Or? Yeah, it feels like there was so much beautiful chaos as we're talking about in the beginning. And yeah, I think if there's it's a little it's a little on the nose at the at the end. I mean, I think that still still worked for me for the most part. But yeah, there was uh, there's there's a little bit of like yeah, that is a little convenient. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's definitely cool looking, and I think that's probably why they opted to do it also for mm-hmm. the you know hit you over the head thing like see the one because like during this meeting and right before it they've already announced that julia again they're one adult who they respect and like is one getting, ally yeah 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 an ally she's getting fired and right. the, they're most likely going to close the rec center um right. which is such all a their rest- yeah so right yeah very dumb idea yeah I mean, you know you see all of their all of their resources slowly get taken away. They don't, they're not going to get their bowling alley. They're all of their, that was the big issue is that, you know, in these kind of, in, in these kind of newly developed towns, you know, they, they had, you know, it was pretty much nothing but suburban housing. And so there really was, it was, you know, these, it was, you know, suburban living, you know, surrounded by, you know, open fields. And so there mm-hmm. was, there was really nothing else for these, there was no outlet for these kids to, you know, for, for, for any of these kids. So, so you, you meant exactly yeah. you, you see exactly where all that energy goes. <laughs> yeah. So again, I think that whole rec center burning is more poetic than anything. It's cool looking, but <laughs> it is it is a little on the news. But still, I mean, if you want to count it in with the chaos scene overall, I just you know I do love this part. But you said you didn't like the ending. Um, are you talking about this, or are you talking about what we get next? We get next. I guess, okay, so what did you not like about how the film wrapped up? Uh, primarily was the music choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and how, it, how it was cut together. I read somewhere that you know, Jonathan Kaplan's original choice for the ending song was The Who's Bob O'Reilly, otherwise known as Teenage Wasteland, mm-hmm. um, which, which you know, I think would... Would be a little, you know, on the nose, but I think I would prefer it far over this sort of watered down white chick singing "Ooh Child." <laughs> they have yes, her, her name is Valerie Carter. The song is "Ooh Child," as you said. Right. It was a cover of you know film from song from ten years ten years before that. Incredible song. Um, and this one is you know just. Um, just like the scene itself is just so emasculated and and um, just it has so much of its mojo missing. So it gives it this sort of saccharine ending as um, Carl and the rest of the kids are being carted away. So that in, that in itself, I just I just thought was um, you know a real a real missed opportunity. I mean, they're doing like the classic bus driving away scene, you know, which we had at that point already seen in things like Midnight Cowboy and The Graduate. And so I think if you're going to do something like that uh, for, a, for a closing scene, especially for a film like this, you really want to mute it. And they do not. Yeah, it is interesting. Again, I didn't hate it. It was, I'm like, oh, really this song? Like that was my reaction. Um, yeah. it, and it's like, oh, that's not the original. Exactly what you said. And, I guess I guess Carl turns himself in, or he's at least caught because we just cut because he is in this like rec center fire, but he kind of gets away, and uh, Doberman ends up most likely, I guess, dying in this fire. Presume, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Or he's badly, badly injured, but I'm assuming he died. <laughs> and they've rounded up, I would say, 90% of the kids. Um, luckily, the one friend who we talked about before took Corey home. They, like, walked home. So there's, like, a couple of them who didn't get in trouble. And they kind of, like, wave goodbye from them on, <laughs> on an overpass as, like, the this school bus. This, like, school bus, I presume, is bringing them to some juvenile delinquent center together that's gonna go well guys but <laughs> yeah it's kind it was kind of a it honestly that kind of felt a little bit corman to me as well like just like a wonky like bye we won't forget you kind of thing it didn't ruin the movie for me or anything like that but i almost would rather have just ended in that that blaze you know i didn't hate the ending it just it did take me in a weird direction where for me, if I'm, like, conscious of something, if I'm like, hey, that's not the right song, I think there's, like, an issue. But, again, it's not something that ruined the film for me. I almost questioned if they should have just ended at, at the rec center on fire. I think that would have been a stronger ending. I don't think we need... We know that things... That it's going to be... It's going to be a rough road after after this point. I yes. mean, I, I don't... Th- you don't need that. It was... It seemed very tacked on. Because again, and you know, and and it, and it closes you know with Carl in the in the center focus, and I don't think we really need that. I don't think I think at that point we really see how much this entire event is affecting everyone. I don't think we really care that you know, like I mean, okay, Carl turned himself in, whatever, but it's like I don't care that he's sad at this point. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, the rec center's on fire. It's not really about it's as far as I'm concerned. It's not really about him anymore. Yeah, no, it's uh... a. <laughs> It's interesting. It's odd. But again, like I said, it didn't ruin it because we had seen other things like this in the film. But it was sure it was a little hokey. Like like a I little said, hokey. Uh, Corey and his other friend just like waving like bye, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. Yeah. yeah. I'll, see you, I'll see you at camp. Yeah, that part didn't work. And again, it's just it's another instance of these. These these things that just, it feels very much like a producer note. It's like, well, we gotta have a dramatic song, otherwise, you know, people won't know that we're know that it's sad, you know. And it just feels it feels like a producer note in that way. Yeah, which is again understandable, I guess. Um, they do happen, yeah. But you know, because I think there were there were moments where they were trying to they were trying to tone back. I mean, I think from what I've heard that there there was a lot of a lot of the edge of this film, they really had to fight for with the studio. And mm-hmm. I mean, and you know, you can see that it's very much, it, a lot of it is very much ahead of its time. It, you really hadn't seen things like this before, but then there's moments. And I think, again, I, I also recognize that this is, uh, you know, I'm coming at it from the perspective of, of 40 years later, when we have seen so much, so many films take the, take this cue and go even further with it. But I also, I also think there were, um, there were a lot of films. I mean, you know, the, we, we, we see so many hard edge films in the seventies, but though, albeit not many films dealing with youth. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's, that's the distinction. That's the huge distinction here. Uh, So anything else you wanted to mention uh, about the film before we get into our awards? No, I mean, I think again, it's an incredibly interesting film. I think, uh, you know, again, a, at times a frustrating film, but you can definitely see, you can see how much of, you know, you can see how much of an influence this film has been. And it's kind of, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's exciting in that way to see, uh, to see that, you know, I love, um, 
Uh, I love the dynamic between the, you know, between the characters, between the kids. I love the little moments, uh, you know, they ha- like he has with the parents, with you know, that Carl has with his parents. There's that yeah. one, there's that one bit where she gives him, um, when he had his money st- uh, stolen off of him and she he hands him like five bucks and says, it's combat pay. I thought that line was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's like they have a little banter it's like mom gets it you know the dad <laughs> the dad's a bit of a stuffed shirt but you know the mom's like oh you're going through a rough time i get i got you yeah it's uh i did love that the parent dynamic there because it's mm-hmm. they felt more fleshed out than a lot of other parents of teenagers in films believe it or not so i, I actually did like like his parents and even uh, Matt Dillon's mom, like I know, like oh, single mom trope. Yeah, they didn't really. There wasn't really an opportunity to flesh her character out more, but yeah. But it, I think just as how it was portrayed, it didn't. It, yeah, it, it wasn't like the typical you know, hard ass parent or the t- typical clueless parent. You know, she yeah, she obviously cared about him. It was just kind of in over her head. One more thing I wanted to mention before we got into our awards. Uh, I don't know if you read this note, but. Kind of a dark note, but this community that they shot in in Colorado was a community developed by the same company and like right alongside the community that ended up being like uh, Columbine. And it's about an hour from it's about yeah. an hour from Columbine. They said, yeah, that's yeah, an inter- that's an interesting note. Yeah. Um, and then I, I tried to look like into this further because it's like, whoa, that's uh, <laughs> I mean, it's very interesting. Like you know, in terms of like what a similar s- suburb developed into um but i know a lot of the research was was actually done in columbine like from the actors specifically they would hang out really oh i didn't know that yeah they would hang out uh, apparently because it was a little bit more developed and they already had a strip mall so a lot of the actors when i say the actors i don't mean like probably the kids that were picked out i mean like the people who considered themselves working actors at the time yeah there were there were a couple of those Yeah. yeah and i was reading that they would actually go to this strip mall in columbine and you know research kind of the kids there and what they were doing and how they were like. So I don't know, just a weird little point in history. That is an interesting parallel. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting kind of circumstantial bit of information, a place of a lot of violence later. Uh, So yeah, it is. Yeah. It has, it's certainly, yeah. You say, you say the name Columbine and yeah, it has a, yeah, it has has a very particular meaning. Violent connotations, violent youth connotations too. So hundred percent. I there's no real segue from that, so let's let's, <laughs> let's just, yeah go, jump right into it. Let's get into our awards. First award is the uh, Wooderson Award. Is there a character in here who you would have liked to see more of? There's a lot, actually. I mean, I think there's. I so, mean, it makes sense. It's called the Wooderson Award. Uh, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, the Linklater connection. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's. I mean, so many of these characters are so real. It is. I mean, that's what makes this this film so so interesting i feel like you know it, it is it is one where you could just kind of pan the camera over and just follow a different kid and you'd get to get a, a completely different movie and i think you know just based on just based on how real these kids were i would have loved to seen more of the um of the acid kid yeah it's almost like pick a character in this one even again, pick a character yeah even matt dillon we could have gotten more of as he's well yeah i would have wanted more of matt dillon i mean he's <laughs> I mean, he's very much a he's very much a prom, a very prominent character. I mean, he's a you know, huge supporting lead. But um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely 
you know, as I said before, I would have, I would have loved to, you know, to see his character develop through the end, but I understand why, but yeah, then there's these random kids who just, you know, just, just say one line, like, yeah, just the, um, that kid who just like starts, uh, starts tripping out on acid. I'm like, it, it just comes out, it seemingly comes out of nowhere, but I'm like, but it's so perfect for the environment. It's like, yeah, I want to see more of that kid. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now opposite award. Long Duck Dong Award, a character whose omission would make the film better. Would you delete anyone from here? I mean, again, we've understood why the character's there, but I mean, I mean, Sergeant Doberman definitely gives us a particular tone from from the beginning. I understand why his character's there, but I think maybe having having a character who's a little less descript, a little um, a little less on the nose, I think it might have helped kind of ground this film a little more. Yeah, I- I'm with you there. You know, I-, I wish it was less on a person and more on the department. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was he's kind of the. Um, He's kind of the he's kind of the avatar, the mascot, you know, represent the representation of of the police force. You know, they kind of needed a character for that, and it, it just it, it again it feels a little melodramatic, a little twisty, the mustache. But you know, I see why they did it. I'm going to go ahead and say that you you know usually I'll give out a Cameron Fry Award, someone who looks too old to be a high schooler, but one considering they're supposed to be in middle school. And two, the way they cast it, I don't know if it's applicable here. Like, no one looked like a 30-year-old here, right? I almost you know, said that right out front, right out the gate. There is no Cameron Fry Award here, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, and and again, it goes back to just how specific the casting was. I mean, they really, they you know, that was one of their um, intentions from the beginning, was they don't didn't want to cast someone who is, you know, a 17-year-old, you know, drama student. Wanted to cast people who were really of the... Um, you know of that of that age of that of that background and and they did a great job hugely yeah okay so this is a movie that people actually like rotten tomatoes the critics 82 percent audience score 85 percent but of course we grade on the a plus to f or maybe f minus i don't know but (laughs) a plus to f scale here on high school slumber party so galen what will you report card grade over the edge i've been vacillating with this you know because i've obviously uh, voiced my frustrations with the film, but you know, as our through our discussion, I'm I can definitely see so much of what this film does right. I would give this film a solid B plus, with the note in the margin that it would be um, could be a higher grade if if some of those some of those issues, specifically some of the um, those kind of post production uh, elements were were you know were tweaked if we if we didn't have that. You know, ob- you know, obnoxious melodramatic score. If if there's some of those some of those elements, I think. I mean, yeah. If you took out that score and it re- and you really just let some of those scenes just kind of breathe, I I would probably give this like a solid like A minus A. But I think at this point, I'd give it like a, a B plus. I'm with you. I actually gave it the same grade, B plus, and I know exactly what you're saying. And maybe people listening are like, really? They seems like they should on the movie at times, but uh, it's something where it almost gets some points knocked down because it's that student in class that you know should be a straight-A student, but instead they're making these little mistakes that you'd love to correct. However, it's still something that's I really loved it, especially watching all these movies for this podcast, and obviously it's a genre I like too, or, yeah. or I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I love watching an older movie and seeing influences I mean, in other movies that I 
have already covered on this podcast or intend to cover, and you see so much of that here. And again, if the, I think if you're a fan of the genre, you'll really appreciate and like this movie. Absolutely. Maybe if you're not someone who's into these kind of films, it's not going to be your thing, and you'll get bothered by some of the stuff we've said here. But to me, it's yeah. an influential, important touchstone that I don't think enough people have seen who are into these kind of films. So I, I thank you for suggesting it. Absolutely. This is the kind of film, you know, to carry the metaphor, this is the kind of film where I would say, I would say like, you know, is, is everything okay at home? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in so many levels. <laughs> right, at so many levels yeah I, I know how are you doing you know is everything is everything fine at home is there any problems is there something you'd like to talk about absolutely absolutely couldn't agree more this question's always fun and interesting this is our sleeping bag question galen Bring it. if you had to invent some kind of over the edge themed sleeping bag what would it look like i think because the um the soundtrack, not the not the film score, mind you, but the actual soundtrack is so much a character in this movie. I think I would I would have a full on cheap trick uh, sleeping bag. Ooh, you know, I love yeah. that. Looks cool. Yeah, I love. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd be I'd definitely be the cool kid at the sleeping at the at the slumber party with yeah with my like you know tricked out you know um, heavy flaming font you know cheap trick uh, sleeping bag. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, and again, I know we mentioned it earlier, but. Score and soundtrack, two different things, people. This soundtrack Very is big. pretty cool. Uh, and so many of the bands, as you mentioned, are early versions of themselves, which, yeah, I mean, bravo whoever picked that music. Again, with the exception yeah. of your the Ooh Child song. You Ooh like Child. Actually, I read that um, it was the actress who played Corey, Pam Ludwig's suggestion to include Cheap Trick. She was a oh. fan of them. Which oh, makes cool. sense, like, yeah, which makes sense, you know, when you have the scene of her dancing to the, to surrender, yeah. um, you know, it's obviously something that, you know, obviously resonated with her already. So that, I thought that was a really cool note. So if you you and I were at this magical, magical blockbuster that has every movie in the existence ever, and we see a sale and it says, rent two movies, get one free, we're, we know we're renting over the edge for our slumber party. So, Galen, I ask you, what two other movies should we rent for, for our celebration, I guess, of Over the Edge? All right. Well, that, yeah, that's an, I'm going to try to carry this theme forward. So I think I think first I would pick, you know, it's a Youth and Revolt movie and it's you know, an honoring um, uh, Jonathan Kaplan's Corman background. I would um, pick the the Roger Corman produced Penelope Spheris movie Suburbia, Ooh. which is you know about, you know, Kind of the you know, punks taking over a suburban town. Yeah, good call. And then taking it, you know, even to a to a further extreme, I would I would take the feral youths in a in a once thriving suburbia uh, film, uh, Gummo from Harmony Korine. Oh, cool. Yes, yeah, so you kind of see you kind of take the um, you take that theme even further. You... It's going to be a very dark slumber party. Tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. Yeah, definitely gonna, be, <laughs> definitely gonna be breaking out the booze. You know, there's gonna be, some, you know, there's gonna be some like deep conversations. You know, out on the rooftop. You know, what am I doing with <laughs> my life? It. Yeah, love it. Well, this was a pleasure. Like I said, thank you so much for pointing this movie out to me. You know, and and you have a list, so we'll tackle some other movies down the road as well. But before getting out of here, before going over this, wait, no, I'm not gonna say going over the edge here because. <laughs> <laughs> but, but before before we get out of here, I'll just leave it at that. 
how can people follow you, find you? You can find me on Instagram at, at Galen Howard, or you can track me down on Twitter under my very cumbersome handle at underscore Galen underscore Howard underscore. Ooh, I got to write that down. Because <laughs> I was looking, I'm like, oh, I don't, I guess he doesn't have a Twitter. Yeah, I know. For some reason, I thought, uh, you know, a few years ago, I thought underscores were the way to go because I think I saw someone else do it. I definitely regret my decision now, but I'm kind of stuck <laughs> with it for the moment. So. All good, all good. Well, like I said, thanks so much, and we'll definitely uh, have you on again, Galen. Can't wait, man. Always a pleasure having Galen on. That was a fun movie, a fun episode, and I think I mentioned it on Monday, but we actually recorded that episode over the summer. I've been keeping some episodes on file just in case, I don't know, I got busy or something, and I figured election week, yeah, I knew I was going to be paying attention. I was paying attention. I actually went to college for government and politics, so I'm a bit of a numbers junkie. I'm a bit of a political junkie. I'm not very political in a sense, you know with messages and stuff, but I like following these elections. They interest me. Sorry if that bothers you. <laughs> no, but I knew I needed need to pull something out of the, uh, the old, not archive, but you know, the vault, out of the old vault. And just once again, want to thank Galen Howard and follow him, like his stuff. He's an awesome dude. Listen to all the other podcasts he's been on because I've listened to some and they're pretty awesome. We do have homework for next week, though. Don't worry. I've been thinking about this. I might be glued to the old CNN, but I'm thinking about what are we going to do for Monday? And I'm like, oh, God. To be honest with you, it was really hard to book a guest because everyone was kind of in the same boat as me. Like, I don't know if I want to talk next week. I don't know what I'm going to be in the mood for. I don't know if I'm going to be happy or sad. Maybe people on both ends of the spectrum. Who knows? So I was like, let me give everyone else a break as well. I'm going to pull another one out of the old vault. And this is one that I've been waiting to deploy for a while because I had a blast talking about this film. I love this guy, Joe Two. You know him, Pittsburgh's own. I feel like I know Allegheny County by heart right now because of what's going on in Pennsylvania. But Pittsburgh's own Joe Two from Too Fast, Too Forever, all the other great stuff on Cage Club Podcast Network. You know he loves those Lifetime movies. And we're going to talk another one. He suggested this one. We recorded it a couple months ago. But like I said, I've been waiting to talk about it because this one is a keystone, no pun intended, a cornerstone Lifetime film. It's called She's Too Young. Easy to find, guys. Are you going out on a school night? Yeah, it's just for ice cream. She's going out with Don and Becca. Hi. I'm Trisha Vogel. I'm Hannah's mother. Hey, it's nice to meet you, Miss Vogel. It's nice to meet you, too. Nick. How we decided that she's too young to be out in cars with boys? We did, but, you know, it's just ice cream. What, what are we going to do, lock her in her closet until she's 20? Come on. She's only 14 years old. She's wearing that much makeup to go out and get ice cream? I mean, she's a straight-A student. She plays that cello 90 hours a week. I think she deserves a break once it's in a while. It's not about that. We either trust her or we, we don't. We don't know anything about this kid. What's the matter? I don't know. I'm a little nervous. I mean, you kind of got a reputation. You must be Nick. Come on in. Have a seat. You know, I'm a little strapped for time. What's this for? All right, straight up. Been exposed to syphilis. As you may know, it's a highly contagious disease. You may have infected others. What's worse is that, I'm, that I screwed up or that they think I'm too perfect to screw up. So couldn't find a trailer for that one, but I promise you it's easy to find. I just found a little clip 
compilation on the old YouTube. And apologize before that trailer. My dog Henry was getting a little fussy while I played it. I took him out. I'm back. I'm ready. I'm at the slumber party. I'm curled in my sleeping bag. Hope you are too. But don't forget your homework. Watch She's Too Young. And enjoy the episode. Oh, and by the way, remember, class participation is a huge part of your grade. So before Monday's episode, after this episode, go on our social media, hit me up, let me know what you think about Over the Edge, let me know what you think about She's Too Young, let me know what you think about anything. I'm ready to talk. My DMs are open on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, High School Slumber Party. And I want you to remember one more thing. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. So Galen is going to hate me for this, but I have to do it because the movie ended this way. I'm going to play Ooh Child, but not by the original people who did it. I'm going to play the Valerie Carter version, and I'm just queuing it up now. That's the version that played at the end of the film that pissed Galen off so much, but you know what? Let's give it a second chance. Once again, thank you, Galen. Thank everyone for listening. Happy election week. I'm going to get some sleep. (sighs) You should too. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.